Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Psalms, chapter 66, verse 1, and then 5 through 12, which is on page 649, if you're following along in the Pew Bible. Listen for a word from God. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds among mortals. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let the rebellious not exalt themselves. Bless our God, O people. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid burdens on our back. You let people ride over our head. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to the spacious place. The word of the Lord. And our second reading is the story of Tabitha slash Dorcas. It can be found in the book of Acts chapter 9. As a, just a quick reminder, Acts in the New Testament is Luke's second volume. His first, of course, is his gospel that goes along with the gospels of Mark, Matthew, and John. But Luke, uh, along with writing a story of Jesus, a gospel story, also wrote us the story of the early church, the earliest believers, after Easter. So listen now for what the Spirit is saying to you and to the church in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, written by Luke, beginning with the 36th verse. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas, Tabitha was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was in Lydda sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived in Joppa, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and, window, and widows, he showed her to be alive. And this became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. We ask that the meditations of our hearts this morning on your word to us, your gift of yourself to us, in scripture, but also in the living person of your Son, Jesus Christ, be 
not only acceptable in your sight, but life-giving to us as your people. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Other than what we just read, we really don't know much about this Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas. We don't know if she was a mother or not, for example. We don't know if she was a widow or not, though she, uh, of course, worked with and cared for many widows. In fact, what we do know, all we really know, is that she was a mother figure to many other women, to a whole community in Joppa, in the church, the earliest church. So as we look at this mother figure this morning, once again, happy Mother's Day to all mothers and mother figures who, like Tabitha, bring love into so many people's lives. Because mothering, as all of us who have benefited from it know, is not an easy job. One of my favorite Christian humorists is a preacher and author as well, a guy named King Duncan, and I was reading a reflection, a meditation he wrote recently on Mother's Day. Duncan said, the other day I read on Twitter a mom uh, who said, parenting is 70% me yelling, 20% me asking the kids why they're yelling, and 10% me trying to find where I left my coffee. Speaking of coffee, Duncan says, I saw online the other day mom's recipe for iced coffee. Do you know this one? Here's the recipe for iced coffee from a mom. Start by having kids, then make coffee, then forget you made coffee, then remember you made coffee and put it in the microwave, then forget you put it in the microwave. Finally, drink coffee cold. Or there's a TikTok video, Duncan says, going around where a mom looks into the camera and says, my kids wanted to know what being a mom is like, so I woke them up at 2 a.m. and told them I had a bad dream. My mom used to say that a mother's love is a love that goes in all directions at once. When a mother figures or a mother's children are happy, she's happy. When they suffer, she suffers with them. That's compassion, you know. The word compassion means suffering with. Passion, suffering, come with. And compassion, as Tabitha showed the church 2,000 years ago, and still shows us, is what being a follower of Jesus is all about. Compassion is at work in this reading this morning at a number of levels. Some people are gifted with compassion, like Tabitha, and some of us, well, not so much. There's a story about a man who fell flat on his face one cold, wintry December afternoon in an icy parking lot. As he was lying there on his back, trying to clear his head, another man drove up in the car, rolled down his window, and yelled, Are you hurt? And the first man lying on his back said, No, no, I think I'm fine. Oh, good, the second man said. Then you'll be leaving your parking space. Compassion, sometimes, even if we have it, doesn't last too long. The author and theologian D. Elton Trueblood, which is an awesome name, was a chaplain at both Stanford and Harvard universities. And in one of his books, Trueblood included an honest letter written to him by a student who said in her letter, I've often realized that it 
takes courage to care. Caring is dangerous. Caring leaves you open to hurt, to hurt and to looking like a fool. I have found many places in my own life where I keep a secret store of indifference as a sort of self-protection. That's interesting, don't you think? She keeps a secret store of indifference when, so she can use it when she needs it. Do you think that most of us keep a secret store of indifference as sort of a defense against getting hurt or looking foolish, that we withhold our compassion more than we should and depend on those good and good-hearted people to do all the caring and loving and serving? Because these are the kind of questions that arise from this text this morning in the ninth chapter of Acts about Tabitha, this disciple, this learner, this follower of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that Luke uses the word disciple for her, not just a woman who was hanging around, but a disciple in this early Christian community. In fact, the story begins, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha who was always doing good and helping the poor. She was beloved because of her kindness, her dedication, her commitment, whether it was in front and center or behind the scenes. She made clothes for all of these widows who had nothing. And Luke says, right at the start today, and at that time, Tabitha became ill and died. In fact, by the time Peter gets there, all these widows, all these widows who depended upon Tabitha were wailing and mourning, and they show Peter, as he comes in, all of the tunics and clothes that she, Tabitha, had made for them. And this is the first observation I want to make this morning about this text. There's a lot more going on here than just the death of a nice woman. It's not only a personal loss. This is a communal loss. This is a devastating loss to the church. These widows counted on Tabitha's compassion and commitment for dignity, for clothing, for a sense of value, which her efforts on their behalf gave to them. And what's more, this community, this church in Joppa in these early years after the death and resurrection of Jesus had committed itself to the compassionate care of the needy with Tabitha as one of the leaders, a woman leading in this incredible ministry. And now she is gone. We have this incredible window into the radically egalitarian nature of the early church. Such an unusual thing in the first century to have a woman in this leadership role. And now They've suffered a devastating loss with her death. And that's how the story starts, with loss, with sadness, with grief. Now, in the middle of this story, we get kind of a recognizable pattern. If you're a Bible reader, any Israelite, for example, would recognize the way the story moves to be very similar to when the, when the prophet Elisha raised the son of a Shunammite woman from the dead. And any Christian believer in Jesus, someone who'd walked with Jesus or heard about him, would recognize the way this works, just the way the story of the daughter of the synagogue leader, Jairus, who begs Jesus to come and save his child. The sequence in the Bible goes a little bit like this. God's chosen one, God's representative, the one who trusts God, is called, kind of interrupted, minding their own business, but interrupted with the news that someone is very ill, near death, or perhaps even has died. 
everyone except this chosen one of God accepts the reality of death because you have no other choice, this biological, scientific, rational reality. And all that's left is them and all of us facing the mystery of death and the transcendent power of God. That's all that's left in these stories. Here, Peter is in a nearby town, the town of Lydda. The church in Joppa, devastated morning, calls him, sends messengers to him to come, come as fast as you can. When he gets there, Peter sees and hears these widows lamenting and grieving, this incredible sadness as they look toward a future which now looks a lot more empty and bleak. And in response, Peter has compassion on them, puts them all out of the room, kneels down and prays, and says in Aramaic, Tabitha, get up. She gets up. Peter shows her to be alive to all of them. And God is glorified by this resurrection power once again. And many come to believe and trust that that power is real. But here's the second observation about this story about Tabitha that I want to share with you this morning. Peter isn't Jesus, and neither are we. Jesus isn't here in the flesh anymore, in this story or today. And Peter is no prophet either. He's not Elisha or Elisha's mentor, teacher Elijah, these people who sort of almost divine like prophets from yesteryear. Peter himself doesn't have the power or authority to heal or to bring back to life. He has to kneel and pray for God to act. And this time, Tabitha lives. But not, and this is what I want to point out, not before her church is traumatized, her loved ones, her friends, her family, not before they're all traumatized with fear and grief and loss. The kind of trauma that we've all experienced. And let's face it, I have prayed for people I've loved not to be lost to me and lost to them anyway. And on a day like today, it's difficult not to think of the mothers and mother figures lost to so many of us too soon, even though we loved them as much, if not more, than they loved us, and even though we prayed. And when that happens, some of us are tempted to think that our prayers aren't enough, that they're not working, or that our faith somehow isn't enough. But I think the kind of loss faced by the widows and believers in Joppa, or the kind of losses that we face in our own life, can help us look sort of through a wider lens than we usually do, and look beyond the thing that we want most, of course, which is our loved one to be with us. The scholar of the book of Acts, Robert Wall, is right, I think, when he said, there's more at stake in sickness than the miraculous cure of one. Whatever the outcome, there's more at stake. Fred Beekner said, if God doesn't seem to be giving you what you ask, maybe God is giving you something else. 
And as hard and as unwelcome as our losses, our sadness, the upheaval of our lives all can be, our losses bring us together to express gratitude, to cry together, to grieve together, to be honest and authentic with each other. Our losses give us, as believers, a chance to worship and pray and mourn and weep together. To experience somehow the love for this person whom we've lost that is so powerful that we know it lives and it's now welcomed that loved one home. We're able somehow, even in tears, to see and celebrate life being given even as it's being taken away. Which brings us to the third point I'd like to suggest you reflect on with me this morning in light of this passage from the ninth chapter of Acts. Just because Jesus isn't here today and and we're not Jesus doesn't mean that we aren't being given this incredible promise this morning. If we let our suffering and our losses and our sadness open our eyes and hearts to the reality of God at work right now, you and I have this amazing ability, just like Peter did, to claim resurrection power for our own. The message this morning is that when things don't go as planned, when injustice and war and the abuse of power seem always to win, when reality in our lives is sometimes too heavy to bear, when we're so afraid of what might happen, of losses we might experience, even in those moments, the kingdom of God is drawing near, coming closer and closer in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. This the suffering, vulnerable, living presence which we can feel and whose infinite compassion for us, which we've glimpsed in the love relationships we've shared with mothers and mother figures, whose infinite compassion for us is the resurrection power available to the whole world to make a way where there is no way, to bring life and peace and meaning somehow back and justice and hope to a world so desperately in need of all those things. Because it's by that power, that resurrection power alone, that Peter was able to raise Tabitha. And you can claim that power too. And you can share it with people who need it. Amen.